reading from Acts chapter 23. Sorry, Acts chapter 10 from verse 23. Okay, excellent. I'm looking forward to that. Okay, so I'll just give you a moment to look that up in your own Bibles. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee up to the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Good evening everyone, great to be here with you. Let me just get myself set up. 
Well, I don't know what you are looking forward to most with lockdown ending, but I personally can't wait to go to the barber. Kath very kindly offered to cut my hair this week. I said, thank you, but I'll just wait till next week. Um, And I'm sure there'll be a lot of excitement. And as we come out of this lockdown, it coincides with us starting our Term 4 series. Normally this time of the year, we'd run our Commitment Series, but we're actually not going to be running it this year for a number of reasons, partly tied up with lockdown, etc., etc. But one thing we will be doing later in this term is raising money for our mission partners who are wonderful, but we'll wait a couple of weeks before we get there. So let me pray as we start this series beyond Acts chapter 10 to 19. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these chapters and I pray speak to us and just encourage us that you are the God who saves. And Father, work powerfully within our hearts and minds to be involved in your mission, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we are starting a new series. It is Acts chapter 10 to 19 and we are calling the series Beyond and we are looking at the... uh, chapters 10 to 19 and if I can just get there we go Uh, the God who saves and we had the reading from verses 23 through to 48 it's really one section within a larger section which chronicles the conversion of the Roman centurion called Cornelius and we've gone to the book of Acts I think for a number of reasons is um, number of reasons when I think about the period we've been through particularly these last 15 weeks I think the question we've all asked ourselves rightly is are you okay and there's been a real sense of wanting to look after ourselves going through this very difficult time I know that uh, mental health issues have skyrocketed Uh, sadly some businesses have closed Uh, parents of kids have been homeschooling and working at home simultaneously there's been all sorts of challenges and so we've rightly needed to look after each other but as the lockdown lifts and it starts tomorrow, we do need to cast our eyes outward and start thinking about the mission that we've always had, but in a sense of getting back to. And the vision for the church is to grow God's church through the gospel. And so we need to return to that. And Acts is just a wonderful encouragement for us in wanting to look outwards. And I think particularly at this time in history in Australia, where I think we naturally and quite easily can think, you know, is it possible for anyone to actually come to faith? The country seems to be becoming increasingly secular. My friends seem so far away, my family, um, those who um, are closest to me, who are not walking with Christ, I, I don't think they can ever come to faith. Well, Acts reminds us that the God of the first century is still the God of today, and he can change even the hardest of hearts and bring people to himself. And so we're looking at the first section. It is two chapters, which is one story. It's a story that's repeated twice. And there's a number of things I want to say under the headline of the God who saves. Firstly, God is more eager to save people than we are to go to them um, and to reach them. But secondly, God uses people to save people. Thirdly, God uses a message to save people. And then lastly, God confirms his salvation by the Holy Spirit. If you're wondering if I'm going to go over time, it's worth saying the first point is the longest and then the last three points uh, will flow fairly quickly. But firstly, God is more eager to save people than we are to reach them. When you come to this story, the person who's introduced at the very beginning is a man called Cornelius. Let me read to us from verse 1 of chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles there, it'd be great to have them open. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now Caesarea is up on the northwest corner of Judea, really the northwest corner of Israel at that time. And so it's right just within the boundary of the Jewish people of the day. 
Now, that's significant because if you go back to the very beginning of the book of Acts, the program, or if I can say the program of God, is laid out for us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The risen Lord Jesus met with his disciples and taught them for over 40 days. And one of the key things he commanded them was this. He says in verse 8 of chapter 1, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, when you get to the end of chapter 9, they've done the first three parts. The gospel has gone to Jerusalem, yes. The gospel has then gone beyond the city into Judea, and it's even gone into Samaria, which was a place not well liked by the Jews. They were like their half-cousins. But it had stopped at that boundary. And for a number of reasons, they struggled to go beyond that geographic boundary. And there's no doubt that the big question they were grappling with is how is it possible for a Gentile, someone who was not born as a Jew, to be part of the people of God who they thought were the Jewish people? How is that possible? And so when you're grappling with that, there is no sense of impetus or encouragement to go beyond the geographic boundaries. And when we get to chapter 10, we see the way that boundary is broken down. And what we see is God is more willing to reach people and to save people than we are to go to them because that's exactly the problem that was here at chapter 10 of the book of Acts. And so I'll read to you from verse 3 of chapter 10. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, Cornelius has a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, verse 4, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is also called Peter, who we know is the Apostle Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And so you could say by the end of chapter 9, the church and the leadership had failed to take the gospel beyond Judea and to reach Gentile people. Well, God has other plans. He will make it happen because he's far more keen to reach people and save people than we are to go to them. And so he initiates this sequence of events that will end up with Cornelius coming to faith in Christ. It starts with this dream, sorry, this vision of the angel who comes and speaks to Cornelius. But we read on in verse chapter, 9, chapter 10, verse 9 about what happens to Peter at the same time. About noon the following day, as they, speaking of Cornelius's men, were on their journey and approaching the city, so they've gone from Caesarea and they've walked down to Joppa or they've ridden horses down, Peter is there and they're about to approach, approach Peter's house. And Peter goes up on the roof to pray. Verse 10, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened. And something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And it's worth saying the description of the animals he sees are all all animals that in the Old Testament in the law of Moses, a faithful Jew was prohibited from eating. And so he's got all this food in front of him in the vision that he knows he shouldn't eat. And then a voice tells him, get up, Peter. Kill, eat. Surely not, Lord Peter replies. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And then the voice speaks a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, I'm sympathetic to Peter. As a faithful Jew, his emotional response is true to what he knew of the Scriptures in the Old Testament. And so he's saying, Lord, please, I can't do this. And God repeats that dream three times to emphasize the fact this is what you need to do, Peter. And then at the same time, as the sheet is rolled back for the third time, the men have now arrived and they knock on his door. Now, I won't read all the text. I'll let you read it uh, after the service. It's worth reading both chapters together. But what happens is that Peter is then called by God. The Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, you need to go with these men to Caesarea and go and speak to Cornelius. And I want you to listen to what Peter learned from this through what he subsequently says to Cornelius when he goes. Uh, There's two very revealing things. The first one is in verse 28. Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And they are the exact words that God had spoken to him. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean, speaking of the animals. And And Peter works out, just as he thought that of the animals, he needs to think the same thing of people. And then in verse 34 and 35, when he explains the gospel, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. And you see, three times this dream is given to him, and it's a revelation to him, really, about the nature of the gospel and how, who and how people come into relationship with him. And what he learns is there is no distinction anymore now with the coming of Christ between those who were clean and unclean, those who were Jew and Gentile. Uh, And we could have similar categories of people who we think are clean or unclean. And what Peter has learnt is that there is no one who is impure or unclean. There is no favourites with God. It doesn't matter what social status, what gender, what race, uh, what colour of your skin, what nationality. All of us are equal before God. Now, we're all in need of God because of our sin, but no one is beyond God. And it's a very important truth. And what Peter was being shown is that God is far more willing to save people than what he was to go to them. I mean, he'd been told in chapter 1, you were to go to the ends of the earth, but they'd stopped. And God, through his supernatural intervention, has to literally kick them out and kick them up to Caesarea and get them moving with the gospel. And what this story shows us is the initiative that God takes to make sure the mission continues to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Why? Because God wanted to save Cornelius and his friends and his family. And what's amazing is, you see, at chapter 9, there is just a Jewish church. Now, it had Greek-speaking and uh, Hebraic-speaking Jews in it, but there was really no sense of Gentiles as a part of it. After this point... The gospel explodes in the non-Jewish world and the birth of the Gentile church begins and it begins with this household and his friends, Cornelius and his mates. And I want to stop here and just think in particular about the video that you've just watched to showcase Alpa with Jadan. And I know Jadan's watching and thank you very much for sharing and it's such a great story. I've been so encouraged hearing you speak about how God's worked in your life through the Alpha Course and coming to know the Lord Jesus. And it is an amazing story. 
And it's amazing because if you ask Suzanne, and I was speaking to her this week about it, she didn't even know Jadan uh, properly. She just knew that she was a mother who was friends with one of her daughters and that Elisa's school friend was the one that was in the dream. And she just had this conviction that she needed to talk to her. And I think it's a remarkable thing that God was at work in Jadan's life and then in Suzanne's life. And Suzanne had no idea who this person was, but just obedient to what was revealed to her, she pressed forward and got in contact. And why the dream? Why the conviction? By God's Holy Spirit? Because God wanted to work to save people. Because he is far more ready and willing to save people than we are to go to them. And I think the challenge for us is that we need to have, be people who have our eyes open to the opportunities that are around us. Because you see, God is always at work in this world and he's at work in people's lives in ways we may not realize. And we need to be praying and having a spiritual sense of insight into the conversations and the people we deal with to ask the question, how is God at work in their lives? Because we can be the people that God uses to bring the gospel to them. But it will only happen if we're open and we're attentive and we're prayerful. And we're seeking God and prayerfully asking, who is it that you want me to connect with? Because all of us are connected with people who are outside the kingdom of God. And all of us then can be used by God to bring the gospel and God's love to them. Nothing happens by accident and the relationships we all have currently are ones that can be used by him to further the gospel. Well, that's the first and main thing I wanted to say to us tonight. God is more eager to save people than we are to reach them. But let's just think about a couple of other things. If I can click that forward, please, Max. It is not working on the clicker. Anyway, Max will uh, help out. Thank you, Max. Uh, the second thing is God wants to use people to save people. And I think one of the uh, significant things, interesting things about this story of Cornelius is the supernatural elements that are contained within it. I mean, you've got the angel that comes to Cornelius, you've got this incredible dream that happens three times to Peter, and then the Holy Spirit speaks to him directly, and then he goes. And I'm not unaware of the video that a similar thing happened with Cezanne, which is quite remarkable, that she had a dream and then felt a conviction by the Spirit of God to communicate with uh, Jadan. Cornelius came to faith not because of a dream, not because of an angel. Cornelius came to faith because Peter went to him. Have a look at verse 19. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. Now at that point, Peter could have just gone, oh no, it's too hard. But Peter went he responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and he went on a journey to another city. He went on a journey to another city and went into a house with Gentiles who he wasn't meant to go into a house with and he risked his reputation and it would have taken time and effort and after the event he got criticized for it by people in Jerusalem, headquarters so to speak, but he went and that's the way God works. People come to faith because somewhere, at some point, there is a Christian who goes to the person. And they show love to that person. They shine the light of the gospel in their life 
with that person and then they speak to that person about the Lord Jesus and the gospel. And one of the things I love to do is to hear from people how they've come to faith. And it's always such a great thing to hear people's testimonies and stories of their conversion. Even if it is from childhood, it's still great to hear that. And one of the things that happens is I take note of the circumstances involved. And let me tell you, 99.9% of the time, there's always someone somewhere having an influence in the person's life who got converted. It is always the case. I can only think of one person who literally kind of woke up and decided that they would read the Bible and got converted without any other external influences from people. One. And I've heard hundreds of stories. Because that's the way God works. He uses people to reach people. And that's the power of friendship. It's the power of relationship. And it's that what we're called to do is to go and be involved in people's lives. And to go and love them and be a witness to them in how we live, as well as to speak for them and to them. And as I was thinking about the message, I did wonder, I mean, who are the people in your life, in my life, that God has put around us that he is working in already that we can be an influence for in terms of reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because I can guarantee you God is at work all the time and he will be working in the networks that you are in and there will be people there who may be open to hearing about him. It may not be many. But I can be sure there will be some. And we will be the ones, I will be the one, you will be the one who God can use to reach them because God uses people to save people. But thirdly, God uses a message to save people. God uses a message to save people. Though God, uh, Cornelius was a God-fearing man, who attached himself to the synagogue most likely. When it says he's God-fearing, it probably means that he was actually attached to a synagogue. He still needed to be saved. He still wondered, was I right with God? And so Peter is sent to him. And what does Peter do? Well, we see that in verse 36. After the formalities have finished that he's been introduced, Peter came with his small entourage. He meets Cornelius, who's got a larger entourage of family and friends, we're told. And then Peter speaks and shares the message of the gospel. And he says this, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel. And because Cornelius was a God-fearer and he was in Caesarea, he is aware that Cornelius has some knowledge of the Lord Jesus and the gospel. He said, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And what Peter does then is explain the gospel to Cornelius. And he does it in three ways. He tells them who Jesus is, sorry, what Jesus has done, Secondly, who Jesus is, and then thirdly, what Jesus offers. Firstly, who, what Jesus has done. And he basically chronicles his life and his ministry before the cross, then there's the death of Jesus, and then the resurrection. Now, I have no doubt that's just a summary of probably what he explained on that day. And the fuller um, story of what Peter might have said may well be Mark's gospel that we have, because we know Mark was the recorder of Peter's messages. And so that may be the full extent of what was shared. But you see here, he starts by talking about what Jesus has done. He healed people. 
He loved people. He cared for people. But then he died on the cross. And then he rose again and it was witnessed. But then he talks about who he is. And it's interesting the way he is described. In verse 36, he is Jesus Christ. Now, he's not Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth, Jesus the carpenter's boy. He's Jesus who is the Messiah. But not just that, he is the one who is Lord of all. And that is a very, if I can say, powerful word and a very pregnant word in terms of meaning because he is saying Caesar is not Lord. And he's saying that to a Roman centurion. He's saying Jesus is Lord. He is the one who is actually overall, not Caesar. And then in verse 42, he says these words. He is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Now, when you read through the book of Acts, there's numbers of speeches there which accompany the stories that explain the gospel in different contexts. So very often, they point out the fact that Jesus has been appointed as the judge of all and that one day we'll have to stand before him. And that's exactly what he does here in Acts chapter 10. He is the one, Jesus, whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And the truth is one day all of us will have to stand before God's judgment. And I am sure Peter would have warned him about the reality of judgment and the need to flee it and escape hell because hell is a reality. And you see when you read Acts chapter 2, his first ever speech, he talks about saving yourself from this corrupt generation. But the thing to note is, judgment and hell was not the last word. The last word is in verse 43. Peter says these words. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And I want to put that together. What Peter was saying to Queen Ulysses is this. God, in his love, has sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to us. And he went around doing good. And that news about him is in the message of the gospel. But he died on the cross. He rose again. It was witnessed by many people. He is the Lord of everyone. He is the judge of the living and the dead. But the thing I want you to understand, Cornelius, is he is the one who can forgive your sins. If you believe in Jesus' name, your slate can be washed clean. That's what Peter was saying to Cornelius that day. And what is astounding is, you don't even get to hear of the response of Cornelius before the Spirit of God falls. Have a look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who'd come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And I think what happened was Cornelius is there open to the gospel. He wants to find out. He then hears about Jesus, that he is the one who's Lord of all and judge, who's died on the cross and risen again, but who can forgive him and make him right with God. And he hears, you just need to believe in this Jesus. And he does. And God looks at Cornelius' heart. He looks at his friend's heart and he knows that they are believing in his son. And God, to demonstrate this reality, puts his Holy Spirit in them and upon them in a very demonstrable way that is a mirror of what took place with the Jews in Acts chapter 2 when they came to faith. It is the second Pentecost you could describe it as. And Pentecost was a day when tongues of fire fell on the believers 
and then he went out and preached and many, many thousands came to faith. And here the same thing happens, except this time it's Gentiles. And you see, what you're being recorded here is the progress of the gospel that is going across that geographic barrier, across that racial barrier from Jew to Gentile, and they are coming to faith as they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't have to adhere to the law of Moses. They just need to put their belief in the name of Jesus who died for them and have their sins forgiven. And that's exactly what's recorded. You see, God uses people to save people. But he also uses the message. And whenever you see people getting saved, there's always that second element that they are discovering about Jesus through the message of the gospel. And sometimes it's by reading the Bible one-to-one with people. You can go and do that and you read with them and they learn the gospel. Sometimes it's because they pick the Bible up and they read it for themselves. Having been shown that this is the place you'll find the good news, that's exactly what happened to me. Others will join a course and have the gospel explained to them. Some will be watching online and they'll hear the gospel online. Some will come to church and they'll hear the gospel that way. But always there's this sense of relationship of someone who is a Christian bringing them relationally into the sphere and the orbit of the gospel and then they get to hear the message and the message has this intrinsic power that as people hear it they hear God speaking to them of his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and they hear God calling them to come to himself it is irresistible because God saves those he loves it's astounding And it happens through the preaching of the gospel in the context of fellowship with his people. But lastly, God confirms our salvation by the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we saw in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words of the gospel, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And what's interesting is we're not told this once, but we're told it twice because as soon as this chapter finishes, you hear about the complaints from Jerusalem and Peter has to go back down to headquarters and say it all again. And you might ask the question, why is it repeated twice in the book of Acts? I take it it's because this is so significant in the unfolding drama of the gospel going to the world that for the first time, the Gentiles are being welcomed into the people of God and not having to take up the yoke of Israel and Moses and the Old Testament law. One of the biggest issues in the early church was how was it possible for non-Jews to become part of the people of God and not take on Judaism? And you see the beginning of that happening here. You see, for both Jew and Gentile, we're all the same. What we need is forgiveness And what we need is God's grace and where it comes from is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you believe, you receive his forgiveness. And what God does is he puts his spirit in us and on us so that we know that it's real. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they began to speak in tongues and praise God. And what this section of the story teaches us is that when a person is converted, the way God confirms that salvation is by giving them the gift of his Holy Spirit. And that is the promise for all believers. Now, it is worth saying the way we experience the Holy Spirit will be different for all of us. But if we are Christian, we will all receive him into our lives. And we do know from other parts of Scripture that not everyone is going to speak in tongues. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that, that there are different gifts given within the body. But what we do know is all of us will receive the Holy Spirit. And all of us are given the Holy Spirit so at a common, profound level, 
we can all know our sins have been washed clean. We can all know that there's an assurance of eternity with God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can all know that we belong to him as his children. That is the common experience of people who belong to Christ. And we have his spirit dwelling in us. This is the God who saves. He is more willing to save people than where to go to them. But when he moves us to go, when we share the good news of the gospel, he works powerfully to forgive people's sins and to fill them with his Holy Spirit. And friends, as we unlock and as the state unlocks and as we are able to go out, let me encourage us to be open and sensitive to how God can use us to take that gospel out so that we can grow God's church through it and bring many people to Christ. Well, I want us just to stop for a minute and just to be quiet and just pray and ask ourselves the question, who is it around us that God might be prompting us, me, to be the vehicle of love and grace and truth in their life? Maybe to even invite them to Alpha. Who is it that God is stirring me to connect with for the sake of the gospel? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are more willing to save than we are to go. And we do thank you for the people who first witnessed to us, who brought the news of the gospel to us. Father, give us a spiritual sensitivity and an awareness of what you are doing in the networks of friendships and relationships that we're in and the way you're working in different people's lives. And Father, lead us to those that you are powerfully working in so that we can be the ones who bring your love and your light and the truth of your gospel to them. The wonderful news of your forgiveness through Jesus Christ and eternal life through his resurrection from the dead. We pray this in his name. Amen.